1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 141 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is October 27th, 2010. got a really exciting show for you this week on the podcast. Lots to get to. USC taking on the University of Oregon this weekend, ranked number one in the AP poll. USC ranked number 24. We're going to get to all of that. If you have any questions or comments, and you do have a bunch of them today, Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or if you want to give us a call, 206-888-6755, give us a call and leave a voicemail. That would be wonderful. And what's also wonderful is talking to the coach, Harvey Hyde. We like to talk to him in the first segment each and every week here on the Peristyle Podcast. This is no different. Coach, how are you doing, sir?
2: Ryan, I'm doing great. It's game week after bye week, and it's time to get back after it. Last Saturday, was sort of empty. When you don't have football in Southern California, I have an empty feeling. I love football in Southern California, whether it's USC or UCLA. It seems sort of weird not to have a game in the Coliseum or the Rose Bowl. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, again, this Saturday. The only problem is they're both playing at home. I'd like to see one on the road (laughs) and one at home and at different times. You know, so, so many times we have buys the same week, UCLA and S C they play at the same time on national television. I know a lot of people don't like to go to both games, but me being the type of guy I am, I like to watch both teams play, either in person or on television, one or the other. So here we go again, a game at twelve thirty and a game at five. So it's gonna be difficult to watch much of the U C L A game against Arizona because I'm gonna tell you that's gonna be an important game for the Trojans down the road, but We'll take the uh, number one team in the country, the Oregon Ducks, in the Coliseum at 5 p.m. Saturday night against USC. It can't get much bigger than that. And in fact, I think everyone's pointing as that as the biggest game of the weekend.
1: Certainly, USC uh, ESPN's Game Day will be down there. Six in the morning, I think that gets started. Woof, that's a little early. And if you want to go to that game, you don't have a ticket yet. Go to sctickets.com. That's our sponsor for this segment. Southern California tickets. Southern California tickets. SETickets.com, it's all in the name. Or you can give a call, 1-800-888-7287. Coach, it's going to be crazy this weekend. This is the the time. Is the defense that played against Cal going to show up, or is the defense that played pretty much the rest of the schedule going to show up against Oregon? Because that's the number one offense in the country.
2: Well, I don't know what's going to show up for either team. Uh, Obviously, it is the number one offense in the country as far as I am concerned. Uh, you don't really stop Oregon. Their type of offense is an offense that you just want to slow them down and then have them help you as far as uh, having an opportunity to beat them. They are going to get their points because they isolate you one-on-one so much and spread you all over the field. And uh, I like this quarterback Thomas this year. He really does uh, stand in the pocket and doesn't just take off running until he's sure that someone's not open. He throws a great pass. A uh, really spirals that really gets to his receivers he can thread the the seam really well so uh i think uh when you talk defense this week i don't think we're going to talk much defense on either side of the ball because i think sc will have success offensively too i think it's going to come down to the team that allows or or has the less mistakes i really believe that and uh doesn't have turnovers uh doesn't beat themselves, has good field position, takes advantage of scoring opportunities. It's gonna be that type of football game, but it's gonna be a great game. And, you know, every week now, for the past three weeks, the number one team in the nation has gone down. So let's see what happens this week.
1: Yeah, we certainly will. It's gonna be it's gonna be a great watch, Coach. And hopefully people can get down there and uh Check out the game. Now, we do have a bunch of questions. There's a lot of Oregon questions and kind of technical coaching questions, that so we thought we'd ask you about this stuff. This The first one is from JC. He wants to know, how do you stop a mobile quarterback and draw plays to the running back? Um, you talked about Randall Cunningham before, and you need athletic players to be able to stop him. And who is assigned to cover that quarterback? If he drops back, the linebackers often have to drop in the coverage. is it's a situation on your defensive line to, to push a pass rush, and if the QB gets beats the defensive line, who who's there to cover them? So he's kind of wants to know, how do you do that? How do you defense one of these guys?
2: Well, I tell you, it's, <laughs> I wish I had to answer, maybe. <laughs> I put a patent on it, you know? I think this is what the new spread offense and uh, the wildcat and all of this is caused, especially if you have a tremendous athlete like uh, – Cam Newton at uh, Auburn and these other great athletes that are playing quarterback as Thomas is at Oregon, and that's a little bit different they than the Wildcat, what they're doing up there at uh, Oregon. You know, you really need about 14 players to stop everything that Oregon does. It's almost impossible what they do as far as spreading the field. I don't think you can get it done with 12. It, it, it's really difficult because they really want to Uh, put you man on man with everybody so they call the formation they see how you're going to cover the formation and then they call the play and they still run all their options off of it in the reads by putting obviously you spread the field don't put it back in the backfield if they choose to do that put the back put james in motion bring him across and still hand him off the ball still play action pass your quarterback is a passer and a great runner he can still run option or he can run like you mentioned the quarterback draw or if the passes happen to be covered. He can run right up the middle and, and get yardage. So it's almost impossible to stop it all. And when you talk to defensive coaches, and uh, the defensive coach just sits there and stares at the screen, because if you do this, they do that. If this guy's better than your guy, then it's not going to happen. They try to match you up and spread the field where they put you in a an impossible situation where – If that guy doesn't cover James as a flanker or one of their receivers or whatever, then you get the big play. They are not a time of possession team. If you you look at the stats, and I haven't examined them completely, but I would bet you that in almost every game they have the ball, time of possession less than everybody else. Why? It doesn't take them long to score. I mean, when you watch some of their drives, a long drive is ten plays or six plays because they're so explosive and someone makes a mistake and all of a sudden they take advantage of it. So what you want to do is bend but not break. You want to be able to keep your offense on the field. You want to be able to run your offensive clock down so that uh, you're snapping the ball when you only have two or three seconds left on the clock. You want it to be a short game. You want it to be where your offense can match their offense, and you're going to have to because their offense is going to score. So what you have to be able to do is put yourself in a position where you don't create any turnovers, where your offense maintains the ball, when they're not on the field and they, you know, they don't have that opportunity to be explosive, and try to get up on them or match them and then be able to sustain an intensity and great tackling. I'll tell you, they worked on tackling this week, Monday, at USC's practice. Because if you miss a tackle, they're gone. So you've got to settle up. You've got to wrap up. They spread the field so far you don't get immediate help. And also what happens, you've got to talk to the officiating crew. And I would, if I was Coach Kiffin, I would take a video of the last game that this crew worked. I would time out exactly how long it took them to spot the ball, and I would then record it, and I would make sure that I'd send a copy of that to the officials a director of officials in the Pac-10 office, and I'd say if this crew speeds up the game to enhance Oregon snapping the ball faster than what that crew normally works, then it's an unfair advantage. And, and the way you can tell that, have you, have you ever watched the end of a game when there's 10 seconds left in a game and you see the headlines run in there or you see the umpire grab the football and run up and spot the ball? That's not what they've done the entire game. They haven't run around and spot the game. They're trying to give the offense another play before the time runs out. Well, that's not the pace that they've been working the game. So I would make sure that, that, that there's no change as far as in the pace of the game, as far as spotting the ball and so on, than what this crew has worked in the, in the past. Now, Oregon made some mistakes. They got some sacks on Mazzoli, threw some bad passes, and he slowed them down and, and Ohio State scored. So if that happens on Saturday, FC's got to accomplish the same type of thought as far as, hey, we're not going to shut them down. What we're going to hope to do is match them and hope that they mess up some things, fumble the ball, throw an interception, slow them down so we can capitalize with our offense too because our offense isn't bad either and they're going to have their fits with us.
1: All right, well, that's, that's a question from JC. Thank you very much for that one. Let's go to, let's see, how about uh, Dave Kendall? He's in Tustin, California, USC class of 1971. He has uh, some issues with the quarterback situation, and I think he, you know some of the people that have been kind of, there has been some talk about Mitch Mustaine and things like that. Um, he's really happy with the fact that USC has two quarterbacks and the fact that they could go through, I mean, Think of what happened when John David Booty got hurt against Stanford. If, you know, if the staff had confidence in Mark Sanchez, who obviously ended up being a good quarterback, that, that game could have been different. Um, Oregon's Dennis Dixon got hurt at the end of his senior season. That really hurt the Oregon Ducks. Um, so he feels comfortable with Mitch Mustaine, and he thinks he could be starting almost anywhere else, and he hates to see him being ignored. And he could be really important factor, you know, as, as well as Matt Barkley's playing. He's got 20 touchdowns and only four picks. Mitch Mustaine could still be an important factor in this season. He want to know how you feel about this, and shouldn't someone be emphasizing the value of having not just two, but, you know, two, well, just not having one, but two capable quarterbacks there ready to play?
2: Well, I think everyone is aware of Mitch Mustaine. He's a great kid. He's a great quarterback, and I think I've been saying it all along here on our podcast that I think he'll go probably in the second or third round in the NFL draft. I really believe that. First of all, he's not beat up. He's <laughs> He, he hasn't played that much since he's been a freshman. He can't do anything but get better. He moves well, throws well on the run. Uh, and everyone recognizes what he's been through, so they're knowing that he's a great team player. And if he is a backup, it is, certainly isn't going to upset him for several years to be in the NFL, le- learn the offense, and, and be there ready to play there. But he's experienced that already. Uh, he played as a freshman at Arkansas. We all know what a great job he did there. I've watched him in the spring. I thought he had a great spring game when Matt Barkley couldn't play, threw for five touchdown passes in the spring game. Uh, you're normally never in a situation where you have two capable quarterbacks like that. Normally, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, normally when you have two quarterbacks like that, you got a problem. Because one of them isn't happy or, or goes along with the deal that's going on and either quits or transfers or whatever, and he could have done that this year. He could have moved on, but he didn't do that. So that just shows you the type of quality kid he really is. He's there in the wings in case something happens to Matt Barkley, but it's all going to pay off for him. It's all going to pay off for Mitch Mustaine. You watch. He's going to be a great player and play many
1: years. All right. Well, we hope for that. Uh, he's a he's a great kid, and you want to see him do well. And just to to clarify, Dave, um, thanks for writing in. I got a little confused. I changed up your question a little bit. You were talking about Aaron Corp in there, but just I, I was a little confused the way it was worded. But I I think you understand that Aaron Corp's not on the team anymore. He transferred to the University of Richmond. And actually, got he was, started playing pretty well and got hurt. Um, so I think he, I think he's out for the rest of the season. But just wanted to clarify that, Dave. Right back, if there was something different, if I didn't say your question right. But uh, just FYI, there's theres two good quarterbacks on this team. and they got some young guys and stuff uh, as well. But two capable quarterbacks that could start right away, like you talked about, Matt Barkley and Mitch Mustaine. Uh, Michael in Canada, up in Toronto. So he has some kind of theories. He kind of wrote a long email, but he summarized it a little bit. I'll read that here. To, to play against Oregon, he wants to ensure that USC finds a way to confuse their offensive line and their blocking assignments and what the quarterback reads, be aggressive but still be disciplined and not let them dictate what to do by showing them the same defensive formation. He thinks that a, a bre- aggressive approach is a way to get the players pumped up and the crowd into the game, and Oregon will get their yards, but you can't sit back and keep players in front of us Because before you know it, they'll be behind us. That's Michael's theory on how you got to slow down or stop this Oregon offense. What do you think about that, Coach?
2: Well, you know, uh, first of all, the way they run their offense, they release the ball so quickly. They're always in uh, a gun formation or the quarterback is back off the line of scrimmage and they read it so quickly and release the ball so quickly it's very difficult to get to him, okay? And if you start doing a lot of blitzing, obviously they bring their backs in and help, pick up uh, some of the blitzes and if you ever get hit remember if you ever hit a a blitzing team then you're gone because if you're playing man behind it or whatever so they've got you spread out throughout the the entire field and these guys run straight to the goal line I think he's right I think you have to at least let them think a little bit with your coverages and so on maybe disguise your coverages move around after He gets the play and looks at the sideline, and when he looks at the sideline again, if he's confused and needs to get a reread on the defense before he snaps the ball, you can move back to to what you're doing. But at the same time, you don't want to confuse yourself. The worst thing that can happen to you on defense is confuse your defensive players when you're trying to confuse the offensive players. So you've got to make sure you have your team understand the game plan and what you're doing and how to play this Oregon team. Because if you do make a mistake defensively, it's going to cost you and cost you dearly. So you got to make sure that whatever you put in and what your game plan is, it's sound. The players understand it. They know the responsibilities. Because if you make a mistake against Oregon, the way they spread the field, and you give them so much room uh, to manipulate whatever they're doing and run for the goal line, you're, you're in really a lot of trouble. But I know what he's saying. You can jump around. Uh, they snap the ball quickly. Uh, if you go after him, uh, I don't know if you can get him because he releases the ball so quickly and they'll go to their screen type of offense and play calls so that uh, most of their plays then will have an option of a screen or a dump off to someone because they know you might be coming a lot. So you got to really be careful because they get big plays out of those. So uh, they have hot receivers and they have bump blocks where you bump and get off and so on. And, you know, I mean, different types of screens. They have slip screens and everything else. So you got to be really careful with that. So I, I think what you do is, is you play solid, good, sound defense. And you, you try to slow them down and you, don't bend, you bend a little bit, but you don't break. And you depend a lot on your offense. And you also play that type of defense that you hope they will make a mistake. The reason they got beat in the Rose Bowl, they had made some mistakes. And Mazzoli had to look around, and he was a little confused because of the coverages were really sound in the secondary. And the play-action pass did not confuse Ohio State because they were playing at home. So uh, uh, you have some great ideas. How you play them, who knows? Because a lot of people hadn't had a lot of great success against him. But I think what FC has to rely on too is a home crowd that's enthusiastic. They haven't played that well on the road. Yes, they went into Tennessee. They were down 13 nothing, then came back and scored 48 unanswered points. But normally they don't have the same type of, of uh, advantage that they do when they play in Eugene. I've heard everybody talk about it, that it might be the toughest stadium in America to play in. So when you leave that stadium, uh, sometimes you, you lose a lot of the swagger, it stays there with them. So you got to hope a little bit of the swag, swagger stays in Eugene.
1: Yeah, and the USC's got to get that swagger. And just from looking at practice so far, they really seem to be uh, pumped up for, for this contest. And if you know, if they fall flat on their face, it, it would be a surprise to me. I mean, it, to me, just from looking at the way this team is fired up, it looks like they're they're going to be able to keep it close. I think Matt Barkley will get this offense rolling, and they'll be able to try to match tit for tat, you know, with with what Oregon does. And you know, the, you know, obviously, you want to look at the USC defense trying to slow Oregon down, but the USC offense doesn't really have a lot of room to make mistakes. They can't just take take possessions off. Every possession is going to be key. So you know, you you turn the ball over, or you do something. And drop a pass on third down. I mean, that's really not going to be a good recipe for USC. They need to be just sharp on offense and put the you know put pressure on Oregon. If you, you know you get ahead and you can keep scoring, you make Oregon have to score every time they touch the ball. I think it's easier to break a big, you know, Michael James break a big fifty-yard run for a touchdown when Oregon's up a couple touchdowns, as opposed to they're down a couple touchdowns and they need to try to play catch up. So I think the key for me. It's just going to be make sure this offense, which can score, doesn't make mistakes and shoot themselves in the foot.
2: Right. I agree with what you're saying there, Ryan. And uh, I think that that's exactly what the coaches are talking about with this team. And uh, I'll tell you, a good way to measure the game, uh, the odds makers in Las Vegas, I don't know how they do it. I, I really can't figure it out. But they're always normally, I would say, right on the number or close to the number. And Oregon being the number one team in the country, the seven-point favorite over SC, that's not a lot of points. When you scored 72, 60, 50-some, that's not a lot of points difference in a football game. So that they're telling you by that number, I believe they are, that this is going to be a close football game. A touchdown either way. Hey, that's not two scores. That's one score. So uh, I think that's a way to measure it too. And I and I look at that too to see just what the professionals think about it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I wasn't even sure what the spread was, but I should have. I knew to ask the coach because he's all tied into Las Vegas, so that's good stuff.
2: Well, it opened it opened at six, and all the money went to Oregon. Then it went to six and at seven. And now I think it went back to six and a half, and I think right now it's seven today on Wednesday. So it's all within a touchdown. So, you know, when it's within a touchdown, I'm going to tell you, that, that that's close when you have two teams that score as many points as these teams score. So really, that's not a big difference.
1: No, and you're talking about the number one team in the country, too. So USC obviously not used to being an underdog, but this is one. Like the Stanford game, they were a big underdog in that one. They were a double-digit underdog in that one. Uh, But this is definitely a winnable game for USC. They seem fired up. I wouldn't be shocked if USC can go out there and do it. I think it'll be a close game either way. And hopefully for USC and their fans and everything, it's not one of those heartbreakers at the end, (laughs) whether you lose by a field goal or something along those lines.
2: Well, I hope not. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's a tremendous challenge. But i tell you, that's what it's all about going to usc or going to oregon these type of games this is what it's all about for fans football fans who will be at the coliseum or people who have what scheduled their day on saturday to say hey i'm not being going anywhere i'm going to be in front of the television or i'm going to be at the coliseum i'm going to be doing this now because i'm not going to miss this game and this is what it's all about two great teams two great traditions uh, uh what what can get better than this i really just the anticipation of a game makes you nervous not the game itself i think once the game starts it's 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 a little different you sort of get into the flow of it but it's the anticipation of the game the nervousness the thinking of the game is what it's all about and i'll tell you that's why you have to be really careful as a coach not to get your team to play today or tomorrow but on saturday at 5 pm because your kids only have so much emotion, and you don't want to get them mentally fatigued thinking about the game. So you got to do have a lot of reaction, or relaxation and not too much fire up. Just let them get through it. But they know what they have to do.
1: All right. Well, Coach, we appreciate the insight as always, and we'll uh, talk to you next week, see what happened in this huge matchup between USC and Oregon. Thanks for joining us.
2: Ryan, buddy, thank you very much. And for all of our listeners out there, I want to thank you again for your questions. Keep them rolling. And good luck to everybody this weekend.
1: All right. Everyone else, we'll be back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk some more USC football. Stay tuned.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk a little recruiting in this segment with uscfootball.com. National recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. Nobody does better. Gerard, how you doing, man?
3: I'm doing good. Uh, Waiting for a huge weekend of uh, recruiting for USC and obviously a huge game, and it's kind of cool when those things uh, coincide. It seems... Uh, in years past, he's always you know either had a big game or a big recruiting weekend it looks like uh it'd be a little bit of both so uh just like old times uh the expectations around the program a little higher than they've been in past weeks, so we'll see if they come to play
1: for sure and uh just by you know maybe we can clarify a little bit what you mean by a big recruiting weekend there's going to be a lot of well i don't know maybe official but definitely a lot of unofficial visitors and maybe some official visitors as well and this isn't ever set in stone that the staff's always working trying to get guys and sometimes guys can't make it or they decide they're going to make it at the last minute but it looks like there's going to be a lot of potential prospects and potential future trojans here on the sidelines looking at usc playing oregon definitely
3: and it's it's really a matter of you know, getting the local kids. And, you know, with USC right now, every game that they can bring in guys that are already committed, and USC has a dozen commitments right now, and a couple of the top players in Southern California, uh, D'Anthony Thomas being a big name that's uh, committed to USC, that USC wants to hold on to. Uh, George Farmer, a kid that's not committed to USC yet, but uh, you know USC's in good shape with him. Um, those are the type of players that you want to continue to have around the program. You want to have a good showing um, at big games like this. And this is obviously a national game. A lot of people are looking to see You know, where is USC? Um, Are they irrelevant? Um, Just because they can't go to a bowl game, are they still a team that uh, needs to be reckoned with in the Pac-10? Where do they go forth into the Pac-12? Is this the new era uh, of Oregon uh, where, you know, you come in with this uh, spread option offense and obviously scoring a lot of points and, and really probably the most efficient offense that the country has seen in a long time. It's a clash of styles. It's a clash of you know, old tradition against the new Nike school. Uh, a lot of people want to kind of see that contrast. and So they're pumped up about the game, and obviously that brings in the recruits. It brings in, like I said, the local recruits, uh, guys that come in on unofficial visits. And those unofficial visits sometimes are just as important as the official visits. And uh, speaking of the official visits, it's going to be a weekend where maybe USC tries to bring in some guys uh, from out of state, some guys from back east. And, obviously, that's a big deal. Uh, You you just never know. I think with this coaching staff, with Ed Ergeron and Lane Kiffin, uh, the aggressiveness of this coaching staff, uh, they're going to keep working. They're going to keep after it, and they're going to keep bringing in top guys uh, regardless of, uh, you know, what other people think of USC from a media standpoint. And so, you know, that makes it interesting, and it's just a, a form Uh, for for USC to kind of display uh, what they have now and and really what they have for the future because obviously I think, um, you know, with the sanctions, people are kind of looking forward to what USC has with Lane Kiffin and how, you know, you're going to see the changes from Pete Carroll. And this is really one of the first games where, you know, USC's a, a decided underdog and a lot of people are looking at Oregon as being maybe a possible national championship contender. And so, you know, they're coming into the Coliseum and, and USC, you know, first time in a long time is really going to have to step it up and prove that, uh, that they're still on that elite level.
1: All right. Well, how important is it, Gerard? You've talked to recruits before. It's obviously a big weekend. You've got a lot of uh, recruits going to be on the sidelines checking out the game. USC loses the game tight. Maybe they get blown out. Maybe they win a tight one. Maybe they blow out Oregon. I mean, whatever happens, does that affect how these recruits are making their decisions along the line? Is that a big deal, or does it just depend on the guy?
3: You know, it depends on the player. And really, again, it speaks to the coaching staff because they do a good job either way of attracting talent and keeping kids interested. I think, you know, even after the Washington, Washington loss at home, which was really a tough loss. I mean, you're talking about a school that you're going head-to-head with for a lot of local recruits. I mean, Washington recruits really hard in Southern California and the city section specifically. I mean, they not only go, other, go after Southern California talent, but they're going after kids that are right in the backyard of USC, so Anthony Thomas, uh, Greg Townsend, uh, a lot of different players that they like uh, that USC likes, so when we lose at home in a tough game like that, You know it does affect. It does affect. I think the perception of where each program is going. Now, obviously, both teams have to play the rest of the season. And Washington's played a couple games since then where they have not looked very good. And USC's played a couple games since then where they have actually looked pretty good. I mean, they played well against Stanford defensively. That was tough. They didn't play well on the defensive side of the ball, but as a team, they fought hard and played a lot better against Stanford than I think a lot of people anticipated. And obviously, playing against Cal, they did well. So. I think that there's obviously that perception of what are you building towards? I mean, this is now kind of a new era for USC in a lot of different ways. Uh, It's USC, really trying to rebuild in some ways and it's it's weird to say that because you know they didn't go through a really bad season in terms of wins and losses last year but with I think just the feeling of the NCAA coming down on them Lane Kiffin coming in as a new coach um kind of the struggles early in the season the loss to Washington and then you lose back to back with Stanford even though they played well against Stanford offensively and I think as a team really fought hard in that game it just felt for a while there was like okay this is the dynasty it's over. <laughs> you know, we we, we everybody kind of came to terms with all right, they're they're starting from a new place at this point. And this season it's kind of about where are they building the foundation? You know, where do they go from here? What's the future from here? And and with the recruiting trail, uh, a lot of that is the same thing. You know, how they're building this recruiting class, the the limitations they have, and how they have to be smart in order to look forward from this point on. And it's not all about right here and right now, but it's definitely about moving forward and kind of the rise of the program um, from, you know, this point on. So I think that, uh, you know, the wins and losses, they can go either way. They can kind of show, hey, listen, yeah, we're not what we were, um, you know, back in you know two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. Uh, but this is a new regime, and we're building new things. Or you know, Lane Kiffin comes in, and, and they play well against Oregon, and, and maybe they get able to beat Oregon. It's a it's a, a sign. All the recruits look at what we can do. Under the current circumstances, imagine what we can do with you here and going forward uh, with, with, you know, all the planets aligning a little bit more and, and things being more in our benefit. So it goes either way. It, it's, it's, it depends on the recruit, and I think it depends uh, definitely on, you know, how things play out uh, at that recruit's position and what they're looking forward to in, in their recruitment. You know, what, did, what things, what factors did they see as important to their recruitment? I mean, if it's playing time, then, you know, that can be spun either way regardless of wins and losses. Uh, if it's obviously the prestige of the program and wanting to win the national championship, you know, you can't go out there and look bad. And, 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 then, and looking bad sometimes is not always about wins and losses either. It's about how you're playing in those individual games. So that's kind of what we have to watch for. And, um, and this is, again, it's going to be a national season stage and it's a form for the Trojans to come out and uh, show you know what they have under Lane Kiffin.
1: Alright, uh, we got some questions here. Ryan in Sun Valley, he wants to know how difficult it is for a commit to a school that is out of state. How, how difficult is it for a commit when he commits to a school that's out of state when there's a big local school that's also offering and also recruiting him? You grow up in that area, everyone's a fan of that big school nearby, there's got to be a lot of pressure on these kids by friends, family, and the community. What kind of adversity do they, do they face when they do want to commit to an out-of-state school like that?
3: I think it's tough regardless, but it definitely the adversity level kind of goes up and goes down depending on the state that uh, that that prospect is in. Um, if you're talking about a prospect in the Southeast, the adversity is incredibly high. Uh, you're going to have a lot of local schools with a lot of fans really pushing every day, you should go to the school, you should go to the school. It's going to be on Facebook. It's going to be in the classroom. It's going to be at practice. It's going to be at the games. You have a lot of local fans that are very aggressive in showing their school's pride and letting those kids know, hey, you should go to this school. This school is going to support you. It's local. Um, you know, We're going to be there for you. And when you're that far out, um, there's just a lot of distance between that decision that the kid made, the prospect made uh, of going, you know, away from home and, uh, and the school itself. So you're not only talking about a lot of pressure from the locals and the, the, the you know, kind of the, the, surrounding area, but the lack of reinforcement in that decision from the school that's, you know, 3,000 miles away, 2,000 miles away. And that's what's going on with Kent Turin right now. There's a lot of Florida fans. There's a lot of Miami fans. There's a lot of Georgia fans. Uh, in that area where he lives, there's not a lot of people talking about USC. You know, there's not a lot of people that uh, really know much about USC. And I'm sure uh, when Kent Turian walks around with a Trojan hat on, people take a double take and they go, "Why are you going to USC?" You know, and that's just you know that's a question that maybe puts a little bit of ins- uncertainty in a prospect's head. So you always have to battle that as a school, especially when that prospect is committed early in the process. I mean, when he's out there and you committed in July, like. Kent Tureen, well, you've got a long, long couple months uh, until you may actually go back to your school of choice for an official visit or even an unofficial visit to kind of remind yourself, hey, this is why I committed here. And, and that makes it tougher, too. So it really depends, I think, if you're talking about Nevada or you're talking about a kid that, you know, maybe he's from Colorado those schools, I think the fan bases are not as rabid, and so you're not going to have the pressure. And, and there's going to be some pressure, and there's going to be some you know, distance between the schools and, and what the communication level is sometimes, you know, being able to go back to the school for an unofficial visit, get on campus and, and kind of get those feelings again of, of why they committed. But I think you know, the, the pressure from the peers and from the people in the towns that you're at uh, is, is a lot less when you're talking about uh, you know, a lot of the western states, and, and even the Midwestern states to a certain degree. I'm, I'm sure Ohio there's probably a lot of pressure to go to Ohio State, um, but I think when you're talking about the Southeast and Texas, that's really where it gets the most difficult.
1: Alright, uh, well thanks for that question, Ryan. Next up is uh, J.D. in Washington, D.C. I just flew in from Washington, D.C., J.D. I, say, JD but, duty. Uh, I don't think it's him, but I uh, was oh. visiting my sister out there. He wanted to know, so he wanted to get some clarification here, but his understanding is The USC can sign up to nine players who can enroll early and not count against this year's class. However, uh, Burks and and Tareen now are unavailable to be early enrollees, and we thought that they would be before. That means there's only four early enrollees now. Is that correct? We have to use them or lose them. Is that right? So we just wanted to get some clarification on how that all works.
3: Uh, Yes, there's four right now. Andre Hadari, who is a kicker from Bakersfield. Um, Pete. McBride, who's the long snapper from Arizona. Um, and then you've got the two quarterbacks, Max Wittig uh, from San Ana modern day. And you have uh, Cody Kessler from Bakersfield, uh, army all American up at Bakersfield. So yeah, you have the four that are early and early at this point, they do have a couple of juco prospects they actually have uh, four or five juco prospects that they're looking at um, to see if they could come in early. Uh, but we don't know if, if any of those guys, can get in early for sure. I think with the two offensive linemen, there's David Gardness, who's at the um, City College of San Francisco, um, who's originally from Alaska, who is a full qualifier at high school just because he was from Alaska. Just really didn't get recruited. He should be good to go. He should be okay. When you're talking about a full qualifier at a high school, usually they have um, the, the credits and are in the right place uh, in terms of their admissions uh, coming out of uh, the junior college ranks where they don't have a problem enrolling in January. That's that's really the key, is, is being a full qualified out of high school. The same can be said for Aaron Douglas, who is the transfer um, to, uh, I think it's Eastern Arizona, from... Um, uh, he's out there in Yuma from Tennessee. He transferred out of Tennessee when Lane Kiffin left Tennessee. So he was a full tra- uh, qualifier out of high school, went to uh, Tennessee out of high school, uh, was actually an All-American tight end, who ended up being a freshman All-American tackle at Tennessee. So he's good to go uh, in terms of being a, a, able to early uh, enroll at USC or you know, whatever college of his choice. So those guys should be pretty good. There's a couple other guys floating around on the radar that are JUCO guys. The high school prospects, it's harder. And, and it kind of talked about this over the summer that you kind of have to wait and see what the fallout is from summer school because a lot of guys, they don't know if they're really capable of being early enrollees until they go through those summer school classes. And with Kit Tureen, I kind of had a feeling he was going to have some issues trying to get out early mainly because, I mean, he came out to USC on an unofficial visit, basically spent a week out here just hanging out, and I'm thinking, he's out here in July, he's probably got to be taking some summer school classes right now, and he's in L.A., so I was kind of wondering how that was going to work out. So it didn't work out, and he's not going to be able to enroll early. So with the high school kids, it's a little tougher. There might be another kid that, they, that, that they're that they able to, to finagle and, and get in uh, early, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'm not going to name any names just yet, um, but – it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's difficult. And I think you know, the coaching staff kind of came to that conclusion here at the early part of October, just looking at transcripts and, and collecting some of the data that they needed academically uh, to look and see what kids can legitimately get in uh, in January. And I think the list is it's not real long, and they've offered some kids regardless. You know, They took Burks, uh, who's not going to get in regardless of whether he gets in early or not, you know, offering uh, Corey Waller, linebacker out of Long Beach Poly. Um, those are guys that it in early, who were kind of cusp guys, and um, now they're going after them regardless. So that opens up again that Pandora's box, that question of you know what what is USC really doing? What is their real strategy when it comes to the scholarship sanctions and? Are they really adhering to those sanctions? Are they staying those sanctions? And if they stay the sanctions, is it wise to uh, put that off a year uh, into 2014? Or should they just take this year and try to get as many early enrollees as possible so they have you know, only you know, three years counting this year to go forward? I mean, it's, a, again, talking in circles when you start to get into that because we just don't know what is really going to happen with the appeal and that particular uh, penalty that the NCAA put on them. So, you know, we're going to kind of wait and see how that goes. But uh, at this point, yeah, the early and early thing, uh, to get nine early and would be very surprising to me. I, I don't know if you could even get to that number. I don't know if you could get to seven, quite frankly, without maybe taking a couple guys just to take them because they're early and early So hey, if you're a junior college prospect out there and you're 6'4", <laughs> and, you, and you just, hey, you know, if, if you can get out early, you know, send your tape to USC because I'm sure uh, <laughs> they'll they take a look. looking at
1: you. <laughs> they'll take a look. All right. Um, and then one last thing. You were talking about, uh, and I think it was in the previous podcast, um, you had some criteria for some uh, getting some local players, California players, that, that USC should probably get at positions of need when you're talking about along the lines or at linebacker, things like that. He wanted to get your thoughts on V. Moala and Jason Gibson, a couple of guys that do have offers from USC. Um, but kind of get your thoughts on, on those guys and see if USC is going after them hard.
3: Well, USC was not going after Jason Gibson very hard. Um, you know, they didn't have weekly conversations. Uh, he is a player that got a scholarship offer during the May evaluation period, and USC is recruiting him as a defensive end. Uh, But in terms of the other schools that have been recruiting him, uh, he's talked glowingly about UCLA and Cal uh, being the schools that are really after him and really have a lot of frequent contact with him. USC, he just felt like just wasn't on him hard enough. And I don't know if it's an issue that USC can't resolve and if they wanted him to go back on him and recruit him hard and eventually sign him. um, Or it's just one of those things where he feels – USC has not put up enough time and investment into trying to recruit him, and, you know, he's kind of moved on. I mean, publicly he has not moved on. Publicly he continues to, to list USC as a, as a favorite, the school that he's looking at. Um, but I know that uh, I, he's been a little bit um, confused to kind of what's going on with USC and maybe why they haven't recruited him harder. Uh, with V. Moore, uh, uh, USC's recruiting him hard. Um, they're definitely on him. You know, what he thinks about USC genuinely is hard to figure out because he's not one for conversation, A. uh, And, B, I think he comes from a background that's very pro-Cal. And I think Cal, even though, you know, they got demolished by USC, it's kind of a convenient choice for him. And and I think with V, that's going to play a big part and a big role. I think some kids convenience sometimes it, it, it it's the biggest factor in just wait well, it's the local school you know my cousins has gone there my teammates will probably end up there um you know I'm just going to go to Cal uh, really the big thing for him is to get him in on an official visit USC's got to get him on campus at some point they're supposed to get the whole grand team on campus for the Rise stars camp and that fell through and when I heard that fell through, I went, huh. that's, that's going to make it that much more difficult for USC to really sign him. And so – somebody's got to get Moola on an official visit at some point. Now, I, I heard that he was up at Washington, so that's a good start. I mean, at least somebody's got him out of Sacramento, that got him out of the Bay Area to go see another school. So maybe that's, you know, kind of the first step and a couple of steps of getting him to actually take some visits and getting out of just, you know, hey, I'm a Northern California kid and I'm just going to go to the local school. Because that can happen with a lot of kids, and I kind of feel like with V. Morola, if he doesn't take that initiative to actually go see some of these schools, he's got scholarships offers from, including USC,
1: he's not gonna. Alright, well we got a lot of recruiting updates for this week heading into the Oregon game we're going to have a lot next week after USC plays Oregon, we'll check out uscfootball.com if you want updates on all the players that were down there on the sidelines we'll be down there checking them out seeing who's there, seeing what happens, see what the buzz, the scuttlebutt is as uh, USC takes on Oregon this weekend. Gerard, thanks again for all the insights and uh, we'll talk to you soon Thank you for having me all right, everyone else, we got one last segment. We're going to talk to Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer, get his thoughts on what's been going on in practice, how this team is preparing for Oregon. Stay tuned.
0: You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans. To get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com Network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
1: Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber on the line, USC uscfootball.com recruiting analyst. Dan's been down there checking out all the practices as USC gets ready for Oregon. What's been going on, Dan?
4: Well, uh, I kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's it's reminiscent of, you know, all those years where, uh, you know, USC was on, on top and every game was a big game and, you know, number one, maybe in the nation on the line and that kind of thing. It's a little bit of a, a reversal here, uh, you know, it could have been awfully close, as Lane has said, and, and you kind of like that. A lot of coaches wouldn't admit, you know, that they think about 50 times a day that um, they could be 7-0, you know, six seconds or two plays in one in each game away from uh, having two 7-0 teams in the game of the year. But uh, uh, there's a buzz. There's an energy. There's an excitement there, even without the – you know, fans and observers and what have you that that were there in years past. It it, it kind of has a sense of the way it was. And you can tell the younger players are kind of getting with it and they're getting back a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, with the NCAA thing and, you know, hanging over for so long and all the negativity from outside, especially about the program, that it was really hard to be part of the USC program for a while and he had that you know sort of swagger that USC's had all those years and I think a lot of the you know the younger kids say hey, we didn't do anything wrong what the heck but I think it is you know the the Cal game just was such an infusion of confidence and hey you know we know we can play this game and we can do a lot of things well and we're pretty good and uh, let's just show people so uh, there's a real sense of that and they're it's obviously they're practicing uh, faster, up-tempo. They know they've got to do that. They did it, you know, to get ready for Cal. It worked, obviously, on both sides of the ball. And you just see, you know, a continuation of that. And uh, they really went after one another yesterday. There were a lot of, uh, you know, they're, they're as close to tackling now, full speed, as you can possibly be without exactly... Uh, saying go on, you know, and really tackle full speed. I mean, there's a lot of contact. There's helmets popping off. There's guys wanting to square, square off with one another, and uh, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. We'll see how it plays out. You know, they're playing a team that is so different. It's not like any other team probably we've seen in college football. And uh, people are, you know, trying to figure out how you match up with them, and in terms of the tempo that they run their offense. In the way they uh, take chances on defense and turn the ball over on you. And it certainly worked for them. I mean, they had one, uh, you know, kind of close encounter with Arizona State, which USC, you you talked to everybody at USC, and that's the blueprint. Uh, they, you know, Arizona State forced uh, Oregon into 11 puns. Unfortunately, Arizona State turned the ball over seven times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ended up, you know, it was only 42 31. Uh, and, you know, probably Stanford was. It was 31-31. Stanford's driving, and uh, they throw a completion down to like the 20, where they could have gone ahead. And they get uh, a kid gets targeted right through his helmet, knocked out, drops the ball. Oregon picks. It's not called, of course. Uh, Oregon <laughs> picks the ball up and uh, takes it, you know, the other direction, and pretty, you know, it's 38-31, Oregon, and that turned the game around. And you know, they got the last two scores, but. It isn't like they just totally, you know, what they did to UCLA, they've done that to everybody. You know, they struggled a little bit against uh, Washington State, so uh, you know, it's... A
1: lot it's of teams seem to struggle. Team. Washington State's played a lot of teams kind of tough, where they haven't got the 60-5 to the five blowout or whatever, but they play teams tough.
4: Yeah, I mean, their quarterback is probably the most single improved guy in the league, and, and everybody said he had that potential. He could play for a lot. Of, he'd start for an A lot of teams in the Southeastern Conference, for example, the Big Ten. uh, uh, They've got a great freshman receiver, I think, at Washington State. I think we look back at some USC games now. You look back at that Hawaii game, uh, you know, USC, uh, when you see what Hawaii's doing now and beating, you know, uh, Nevada – uh, you see what um, Washington State is doing. Those were actually—I don't think USC got enough credit, probably, for the way they played, at least on offense against Hawaii, the way they played against Washington State. Uh, you know, USC—you know handled Washington State, you know, better certainly than than the other Pac-10 teams have. So uh, maybe there were some indications in those games that you know, of what what might develop. And and, and USC maybe just got a little bit ahead, and we just didn't realize it at this time.
1: All right. Well, there was some news uh, yesterday at practice. I don't know if it's news, but it was kind of funny. You talked about it a lot in your practice report about Matt Barkley tweeting over the weekend. You want to give people kind of an update on what was going on with that? It was kind of funny.
4: Yeah. I I was talking to him there, there too, yesterday on the sidelines. It was the classic... uh, uh, you know, Matt's uh, follow you know, Matt really is uh following in the footsteps of Pete Carroll I mean he's you know, he's <clears> have <throat> got REO Speedwagon references, uh, you know, when you interview him the, the song lyrics and uh you know, he tweeted about the uh, uh upset uh in the UFC, I guess, Ultimate Fighting Championship where the what Kane Velasquez just absolutely crushed that uh, champ Brock Lesnar uh, uh here in uh, and it was in Orange County, so it was at the Honda Center and I think uh Matt, you know, not might have even made it, you know, 'cause it was kind of a big story here. Uh and uh he just tweeted, you know, well, you know, uh UFC is the Kane Velasquez, you know, or whatever Kane Velasquez is, is USC is Oregon's the Brock Lesnar. And, and and it was obvious he had no intention of dissing, you know, the ducks or anything like that. And uh, it's amazing you have adults, you know, males in their, you know, 30s, 40s, and 50s that are following the tweets of college kids, just, you know, 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds, and then publicizing them like, oh, my gosh, he dissed the ducks, You know, oh, wow. I, and he did nothing of the – it's just, a, you know, silly to say that. Basically, he was saying, you know – Here's the champ gets beat, and here comes number one. And, you know, what do you you think he's supposed to say? uh, I think they're going to crush us, you know? I mean, it was just one of those. And as he said yesterday, he said, hey, it was just a matter. We've gone through a lot, you know, at USC and fought through a lot of adversity. And uh, this was kind of one of those things that, you know, you just want to tell everybody, hey, see, this stuff, you know, it happens uh, where teams that, you know, are the underdog, yeah you know, can, you know, rise up and work out, you know, is the underdog and uh, ends up, uh, you know, winning big. And uh, so that's kind of what he said. But I guess there was enough of a reaction, especially, you know, some of the national guys that cover college football and some of the Oregon media people who just went way over the top in terms of the reaction. Uh, He took it down, I think, like six or seven hours later and just said, you know, certainly didn't mean anything. Oregon's a great team. Uh, not what not what I was even thinking about at all so uh, I think he handled it well Lane said if you know him if you know him at all obviously he's not saying anything negative about Oregon it was all about USC but uh, but it, I'm not sure I would want to be somebody who's following every word that every college <laughs> football player tweets and then sending it out like it's a really big news story uh, yeah I'm sorry yeah
1: uh, a lot of guys are I, doing I, them from their phone I, I, and it's just you know they're It's hard. You have 140 characters to, you know, you could misconstrue, you know, what some people are saying. Yeah, I
4: I mean, I I just don't think, you know, I know that the media has gone there, but I'm not sure uh, that's where the media ought to be going. I'm not sure we should be into instant analysis of uh, player tweets essentially to, uh, you know, their teammates. However, I guess what the one learning experience for college kids is, you may be only intending to tweet your teammates, but basically the whole world listening. Yeah. And people can take <laughs> out at those things whatever they want to take out of them. I thought Kelly yesterday, I guess, the, you know, of course, then that gave the media a chance to run to Kelly yesterday. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, are you going to put it on the bulletin board? You know, and Kelly said, well, we don't have a bulletin board. Everything's <laughs> digital here, you know. I like and, Chip uh, Kelly. He's,
1: he's pretty candid about the stuff he says. I like that. It's pretty good.
4: Yeah, he's pretty straightforward and all of that. Although he probably, you know, if he wanted to play the same game, he said, oh, that's high school stuff or whatever. Now, you could take it one way that the high school stuff is putting things up on the billboard. The other way you could take it is the high school stuff is, uh, is uh, you know, trying to pin it on, uh, on uh, uh, you know, or that what Barkley was doing with high school stuff. I don't think either of those, you know, exactly what he meant. But uh, – You know, you don't want to get into that, you know, circle of just, you know, he he said, she said, you know, all that kind of stuff and go round and round. uh, Just play the game, you
1: know. Makes sense. Well, let's talk about the injuries a little bit. We expected to see some guys coming back. Seems like the offensive line is back for the most part, but uh, there's still a couple guys like uh, Malcolm Smith isn't practicing. No Dylan Baxter. Right. Maybe give an update on some of the guys that were Yeah, not I think
4: so... those are the two that you would say have the longest road to hoe. I think with Dylan, uh, it, it surely looks like, I mean, it's down to the one, one toe, but uh, I think part of the problem you've got, and that's what we learned, I think, last year with Jim McKnight, is it's hard to protect the toe and wrap it and, you know, restrain it properly, keep it from and all that and still have the shoe fit. You know, I mean you can do it with your ankle, uh, or with your knee and, you know, with special wraps and things like that. But, you know, if you end up saying, Okay, you got this protective toe cap or or this split or whatever, you can't wear your same size shoe and then, you know, you're out there and, you know, it looks like uh clown shoe you know on one foot you know well you know if you're like Dylan Baxter you can't run with a shoe that's uh you know on one foot that's bigger than the other foot that would seem to be the problem that the hardest thing is to figure out how to because uh, I think uh, even by last Thursday he was saying it was only painful at times and some of his cuts and some of it, it wasn't uh so you know I don't know. He hasn't been able to to really go, uh, you know, full go. I mean, he starts with his pads on usually, and it looked like the other day he was trying to talk his way into practice, but uh, the trainers didn't let him. Now, I think today would be a crucial day for him. If he can come back today pain-free and they don't have to wrap that toe up too much, uh, I think he could get in enough uh, enough work where you'd feel really comfortable with him because I think they're going to play pretty fast and they're going to try to do a lot of things, and they – absolutely don't want to turn the ball over i think the biggest thing in this game is uh, just don't give uh, oregon any free shots i think malcolm i would be surprised if uh if malcolm's able able you know to play uh in any significant way just just the guess but you know wasn't in there yesterday uh uh he dressed and he doesn't look like he's favoring it terribly but uh you really got I mean, you're going to play against the Oregon offense. You really better be, um, you know, really, really full go. And then uh, they've been taking it a little bit easy on uh, Tyron Smith and given um, – and Booth uh, uh, Lewis, too. And I think it's really been a good break for the offensive linemen. So they've been giving Kevin Graf a, a shot at that tackle spot and Zach Huber is getting, um, you know, some work uh, uh, on, you know, at guard. And, and so, you know, do you want to go into a game with, uh, you know, with another – Guard, another uh, tackle ready to go. Uh, so, and I think Michael Reardon has, has gotten some shots, you know, at center. So I think they've got, you know, backups everywhere. And uh, so I think offensive line, they're in pretty good shape.
1: All right. And then uh, one last thing I just want to talk about. We had a question from Evan. He wanted to get an update on uh, what's going on with uh, Patrick Hall coming out there. If you've seen him out there. And, you know, and now that I think of it, maybe you should also mention uh, Markeith Ambles a little bit, too. Yeah. Okay. okay.
4: Patrick Hall he sure looks like that You know, knee brace is limiting. I mean, he just doesn't look like there's any way he can get up to speed yet. It just looks like, uh, uh, oh, as we remembered how C.J. Morgan looked maybe in the summer and what have you, where you're kind of dragging that leg and the brace looks awfully big. And uh, uh, it just doesn't seem like he's been uh, able to get anywhere near uh, uh, full speed and, and maybe even less so. And maybe it's because – when they did bring him back and and tried to uh, let him do a couple of things and then realized that was probably a negative in terms of his knee uh, rehabbing. Uh, It looks like they're just being very uh, cautious and uh, conservative and careful. And uh, I know with Mark (coughs) Mark Marquise, we, uh, I know, uh, you know, people got a little bit of uh, excitement because he, uh, another one of the, Maybe his was on Facebook, I guess, because they had the four days off and he went back home to uh, Georgia. And there was some misinterpretation of what he exactly said before he went home. Uh, You know, people made it sound like, oh, is he not coming back? Well, yeah, that wasn't the case at all. But I I saw him yesterday. And during practice, you know, before practice, and during practice you you don't realize that maybe he's not there. And I don't think any of us during practice – realized he wasn't there and uh then only afterwards does it sort of come out that apparently hadn't made some whatever the various kinds of meetings appointments uh <clears throat> tutors whatever he hadn't had it, it, the sense is that he hadn't made whatever those were supposed to be on tuesday he might not have been there and uh that's the kind of thing that will get you uh I think that's what caught up with Patrick and I think that's the thing that you know, that they reacted to. Uh, you know, you've got a responsibility and uh if you're uh, you're not living up to that, you're gonna have to live up to that first before you uh get a chance to play. So we'll see. I don't know where that where this one heads. When you look at the fact that, you know, Kyle Prater's coming in next year as a freshman after redshirting, you know, the recruiting when you if you look at uh, you know, the, the two wide receiver recruits are, you know, potential with, uh, uh you know, Farmer and then Blackwell and Dylan Baxter, maybe, um, a significant receiver next year. You do wonder where the numbers, you know, if you're a kid like that and you're looking and saying, you know, what are the numbers, you know, for me, he's got talent. There's no question about it. Uh, kind of a free spirit, kind of a fun guy, uh, long way from home. So you're just being realistic. You know, I think a lot of freshmen have had uh, kind of episodes like this at USC who are from across the country. So, uh, so we'll see how this plays out. You know, I think there were people who didn't think Patrick Hall would, would work his way back. And he did. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where that he's played four games, but not significant time. Um, uh, so he, he is you know, is not going to be able to red shirt, uh, So he'd have to sit out a year if he went somewhere else. So uh, I don't know. I really don't have a sense, and I'm not sure uh, anybody else does. I think it's truly um, uh, up to Marquise at this point.
1: All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. And uh, we will see you out there this Saturday at the Coliseum. Hopefully everyone out there in podcast land will see you out there too. Don't forget, game day starts at 6 a.m. down there on campus if you want to get down there and Hold up signs and get on TV. You can get down there for that. And then the game, obviously, at 5 p.m. But it should be, should be a lot of fun, Dan. We we'll look forward to seeing you out there.
4: Yeah, this is the good old days. Uh, number one, game day, all that kind of stuff. And uh, it should be, uh, you know, I, I do uh, I do like, you know, it's just, there's a buzz. Uh, there's really a buzz. Uh, and, uh, and that's fun.
1: Cool. All right, Dan. Well, thanks for that. And everyone else? Thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Check out peristylepodcast.com for more, and we will talk to you all next week.